Chapter 9, Part 2 of How to Write Short Stories with Examples by Ring Lardner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ben Prince, San Francisco, California. Chapter 9, Harmony, Part 2. After that, all through the train and trip, he was right on Mike's heels. How does the old super feel, he'd ask him. Great, Mike would say. Then Art would watch him warm up to see if he had anything on the ball. He's coming fine, he'd tell me. His curve broke today just as good as I ever seen it. But that didn't fool me, or it didn't fool Mike neither. He could throw about four hooks and then he was through. And he could have hit you in the head with his fast one and you'd have thought you had a rash. One night, just before the season opened up, we was singing on the train, and when we got through, Mike says... Well, boys, you better be looking for another Caruso. What are you talking about, says Art. I'm talking about myself, says Mike. I'll be up there in Minneapolis this summer, pitching once a week and swapping stories about the Civil War with Joe Cantillon. You're crazy, says Art. Your arm's as good as I ever seen it. Then, says Mike, you must have been playing blindfolded all these years. This is just between us, because Ryan will find it out for himself. My arm's rotten, and I can't do nothing to help it. Then Art got sore as a boil. You're a yellow quitting dog, he says. Just because you come round a little slow, you talk about Minneapolis. Why don't you resign off in the club? I might just as well, Mike says, and left us. You'd have thought that Art would have gave up then, because when a ball player admits he's slipping, you can bet your last nickel that he's through. Most of them stalls along and tries to kid themselves and everybody else long after they know they're gone. But Art kept talking like there was still some hope of Mike coming round, and when Ryan told us one night in St. Louis that he was going to give Mike his chance, the next day, Art was as nervous as a bride going to get married. I wasn't nervous. I just felt sorry, because I knowed the old boy was hopeless. Ryan had told him he was going to work if the weather suited him. Well, the day was perfect, so Mike went out to the park along about noon and took Jake with him to warm up. Jake told me afterwards that Mike was throwing just easy-like from half-past twelve till the rest of us got there. He was trying to heat up the old super, and he couldn't have asked for a better break in the weather, but there wasn't enough sunshine in the world to make that old whip crack. Well, sir, you'd have thought to see Art, that Mike was his son or his brother or somebody and just breaking into the league. Art wasn't in the outfield practice in more than two minutes. He'd come in and stood behind Mike while he was warming up and kept telling him how good he looked, but the only guy he was kidding was himself. Then the game starts, and our club goes in and gets three runs. Pretty soft for you now, Mike, says Art on the bench. They can't score three off on you in three years. Say, it's lucky he ever got the side out in the first inning. Everybody that come up hit one on the pick, but our infield pulled two of the greatest plays I ever seen, and they didn't score. In the second, we got three more, and I thought maybe the old bird was going to be lucky enough to scrape through. For four or five innings, he got the grandest support that was ever gave a pitcher, but I'll swear that what he throwed up there didn't have no more on it than September morning. Every time Art come to the bench, he says to Mike, Keep it up, old boy. You got more than you ever had. Well, in the seventh, Mike still had him shut out, and we was six runs to the good. Then a couple of the St. Louis boys hit him where they couldn't nobody reach him, and they was two on and two out. Then somebody got a hold of one and sent it on a line to the left to second base. I forgot who it was now, but whoever it was, he was supposed to be a right field hitter, and Art was laying over the other way for him. Art started with the crack of the bat, and I never seen a man make a better try for a ball. He had it judged perfect, but Cobb or Speaker or none of them couldn't have catched it. Art just managed to touch it by stretching to the limit. 
They went onto the fence and everybody come in. They didn't score no more in that inning. Then Art come in from the field and what do you think he tried to pull? I don't know what was the matter with me on that fly ball, he says. I ought to caught it in my pants pocket, but I didn't get started till it was right on top of me. You misjudged it, didn't you, says Ryan. I certainly did, says Art without cracking. Well, says Ryan, I wished you'd misjudge all of them that way. I never seen a better play on a ball. So then Art knowed they wasn't no more use trying to alibi the old boy. Mike had a turn at bat, and when he come back, Ryan asked him how he felt. I guess I can get six more of them out, he says. Well, they didn't score in the eighth, and when the ninth come, Ryan sent I and Lefty out to warm up. We throwed a few while our club was batting, but when it comes St. Louis' last chance, we was too much interested in the ball game to know if we was throwing or baking biscuits. The first guy hits a line drive, and somebody jumps a mile in the air and stabs it. The next fella fouled out, and there was only one more to get. And then what do you think come off? Whoever it was hitting lifted a fly ball to center field. Art didn't have to move out of his tracks. I've saw him catch a hundred just like it behind his back. But you know what he was thinking. He was saying to himself, if I nail this one, we're liable to keep our tenor singer a while longer. And he dropped it. Then there was five base hits that sounded like the 4th of July, and they come so fast that Ryan didn't have time to send for I or Lefty. Anyway, I guess he thought he might as well leave Mike in there and take it. There wasn't no singing in the clubhouse after that game. I and Lefty always let the others start it. Mike, of course, didn't feel like no jubilee, and Art was so busy trying not to let nobody see him cry that he kept his head clear down in his socks. Finally, he beat it for town all alone, and we didn't see nothing of him till after supper. Then he got us together, and we all went up to Mike's room. I want to try this here old girl of mine, he says. Better sung our old stuff, says Mike. This looks like the last time. Then Art choked up, and it was ten minutes before he could get going. We sung everything we knowed, and it was two o'clock in the morning before Art had enough. Ryan come in after midnight and sat a while listening, but he didn't chase us to bed. He knowed better than any of us that it was a farewell. When I and Art was starting for our room, Art turned to Mike and says, Old boy, I'd have gave every nickel I ever owned to have caught that fly ball. I know you would, Mike says, and I know what made you drop it. But don't worry about it, because it was just a question of time, and if I'd have got away with that game, they'd have murdered some of the infielders next time I started. Mike was sent home the next day, and we didn't see him again. He was shipped to Minneapolis before we got back, and the rest of the season I might as well have lived in a cemetery while we was on the road. Art was so bad that I thought once or twice I'd have to change roomies. Once in a while he'd start humming, and then he'd break off short and growl at me. He'd tried out two or three of the other boys on the club to see if he couldn't find a new tenor singer, but nothing doing. One night he made Lefty try the tenor. Well, Lefty's voice is bad enough down low. When he gets up about so high, you think you're in the stockyards. And Art had a rotten year in baseball, too. The old boy's still pretty near as good on a fly ball as anybody in the league, but you ought to saw him before his legs begin to give out. He could cover as much ground as Speaker, and he was just as sure but the year Mike left us, he missed pretty near half as many as he got. He told me one night, he says, Do you know, Bill, I stand out there and pray that nobody will hit one to me. Every time I see one coming, I think of that one I dropped from Mike in St. Louis, and then I'm just as liable to have it come down on my bean as in my glove. You're crazy, I says, to let a thing like that make a bum out of you. But he kept on dropping fly balls till Ryan was talking about setting him on the bench where it wouldn't hurt nothing if his nerve give out. But Ryan didn't have nobody else to play out there, so Art held on. He come back the next spring, 
that's a year ago, feeling more cheerful and like himself than I'd saw him for a long while, and there was a kid named Burton trying out for second base that could sing pretty near as good as Mike. It didn't take Art more than a day to find this out, and every morning and night for a few days, the four of us would be together, hitting her up. But the kid didn't have no more idea how to play the bag than Charlie Chaplin. Art seen in a minute that he couldn't never beat Cragen out of his job, so what does he do but take him out and try to learn him to play the outfield? He wasn't no worse there than at second base. He couldn't have been. But before he'd practiced out there three days, there was bruises all over his head and shoulders where fly balls had hit him. Well, the kid wasn't with us long enough to see the first exhibition game, and after he'd went, Art was old man grump again. What's the matter with you, I says to him. You was all smiles the day we reported, and now you could easy pass for an undertaker. Well, he says, I had a great winter, singing all the while. We got a good quartet down home, and I never enjoyed myself as much in my life, and I kind of had a hunch that I was going to be lucky and find somebody amongst the bushers that could hit up the old tenor. Your hunch was right, I says. That Burton kid was as good a tenor as you'd want. Yes, he says, and my hunch could have played ball just as good as him. Well, sir, if you didn't never room with a corpse, you don't know what a whale of a time I had all last season. About the middle of August, he was at his worst. Bill, he says, I'm going to leave this old baseball flat on its back if something don't happen. I can't stand these here lonesome nights. I ain't like the rest of the boys that can go and sit all evening at a pitcher show or hang around them Dutch gardens. I got to be singing or I'm miserable. Well, go ahead and sing, says I. I'll try and keep the cops back. No, he says, I don't want to sing alone. I want to harmonize, and we can't do that because we ain't got no tenor. I don't know if you'll believe me or not, but sure as we're sitting here, he went to Ryan one day in Philly and tried to get him to make a trade for Harper. What do I want him for, says Ryan. I hear he ain't satisfied, says Art. I ain't running no ball players benefit association, says Ryan, and Art had to give it up. But he didn't want Harper on the club for no other reason than because he's a tenor singer. And then come that Detroit trip, and Art got permission to go to Jackson. He says he intended to drop in at the ballpark, but his uncle wanted to borrow some money off of him on a farm, so Art had to drive out and see the farm. Then, that night, this here Waldron was up to call on Art's cousin, a swell doll, Art tells me, and Waldron sat down to the piano and began to sing and play. Then it was all off. There wasn't no spooning in the parlor that night. Art wouldn't leave the kid get off in the piano stool long enough to even find out if the girl was a blonde or a brunette. Of course, Art knowed the boy was with the Jackson Club as soon as they was introduced, because Art's uncle says something about the both of them being ball players and so on. But Art swears he never thought of recommending him till the kid got up to go home. Then he asked him what position did he play and found out all about him, only, of course, Waldron didn't tell him how good he was, because he didn't know himself. So Art asked him, would he like a trial in the big show? And the kid says he would. And then Art says maybe the kid would hear from him, and then Waldron left and Art went to bed, and he says he stayed awake all night planning the thing out and wondering would he have the nerve to pull it off. You see, he thought that if Ryan fell for it, Waldron had join us as soon as the season was over, and then Ryan would see he wasn't no good. But he'd probably keep him until we was through for the year, and Art could alibi himself some way, say he'd got the wrong name or something. All he wanted, he says, was to have the kid along the last month or six weeks so he could harmonize. A nut? I guess not. Well, as you know, Waldron got sick and didn't report, and when Art seen him on the train this spring, he couldn't hardly believe his eyes. He thought surely the kid would have been canned during the winter without no trial. Here's another hot one. When we went out the first day for practice, Art takes the kid off in a corner and tries to learn him enough baseball so as he won't show himself up and get sent away somewhere as before we had a little benefit from his singing. 
Can you imagine that? Trying to learn this kid baseball when he was born with a sliding pad on? You know the rest of it. There wasn't never no question about Waldron making good. It's just like everybody says, he's the best natural ball player that's broke in since Cobb. They ain't nothing he can't do, but it is a funny thing that Art's job should be the one he'd get. I spoke about that to Art when he gave me the story. Well, he says, I can't expect everything to break right. I figure I'm lucky to have picked a guy that's good enough to hang on. I'm in stronger with Ryan right now, and with the old man too, than when I was out there playing every day. Besides, the bench is a pretty good place to watch the game from, and this club won't be shy a tenor singer for nine years. Well, no, I says, but they'll be shy a lead and a baritone and a bass before I and you and Lefty is much older. What of it, he says. We'll look up old Mike and all go somewheres and live together. We were nearing Worcester. Bill Cole and I arose from our table and started back towards our car. In the first vestibule, we encountered Buck, the trainer. Mr. Graham's been looking all over for you, Mr. Cole, he said. I've been rehearsing my part, said Bill. We found Art Graham, Lefty, and young Waldron in Art's seat. The kid was talking. Lefty missed it again. If you fellas knew music, I could teach it to you on the piano when we get to Boston. Lefty, on the word love, in the next to the last line, you're on middle C. Then, on the word you, you slide up half a tone, and that ought to be a snap, but you don't get it. I'm on high A and come down to G, and Bill's on low F and comes up to A. Art just sings the regular two notes, F and E. It's a change from the F chord to the A chord. It makes a dandy wallop, and it ought to be a... Here's Bill now, interrupted Lefty as he caught sight of Cole. Art Graham treated his roommate to a cold stare. Where the hell have you been, he said angrily. Looking for the lost chord, said Bill. Sit down here and learn this, growled Art. We won't never get it if we don't work. Yes, let's tackle her again, said Waldron. Bill comes up two full tones from F to A. Lefty goes up half a tone. Art sings just like always, and I come down a tone. Now try her again. Two years ago it was that Bill Cole told me that story. Two weeks ago, Art Graham boarded the evening train on one of the many roads that lead to Minneapolis. The day Art was let out, I cornered Ryan in the clubhouse after the others had dressed and gone home. Did you ever know, I asked, that Art recommended Waldron without having seen him in a ball suit? I told you long ago how Art picked Waldron, he said. Yes, said I, but you didn't have the right story, so I gave it to him. You newspaper fellas, he said when I had done, are the biggest suckers in the world. Now, I've never given you a bad steer in my life, but you don't believe what I tell you and you go and fall for one of Bill Cole's hop dreams. Don't you know that he was the biggest liar in baseball? He'd tell you that Walter Johnson was Jack's father if he thought he could get away with it. And that bunk he gave you about Waldron? Does it sound reasonable? Just as reasonable, I replied, as the stuff about Art's grabbing him after seeing him pop out. I don't claim he did, said Ryan. That's what Art told me. One of those Jackson ball players could give you the real truth, only of course he wouldn't, because if Hodges ever found it out, he'd shoot him full of holes. Art Graham's no fool. He isn't touting ball players because they can sink tenor or alto or anything else. Nevertheless, I believe Bill Cole, else I wouldn't print the story. And Ryan would believe, too, if he weren't in such a mood these days that he disagrees with everybody. For in spite of Waldron's wonderful work, and he is at his best right now, the club hasn't done nearly as well as when Art and Bill and Lefty were still with us. There seems to be a lack of harmony. End of Chapter 9, Part 2 of How to Write Short Stories with Examples by Ring Lardner Recording by Ben Prince, San Francisco, California.